Welcome to Be With Champions. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and today I chat with the 2019 ITU World Champion, Katie Zafiris. Just what an athlete, what a, what a champion. Katie's focused on optimizing her strength and supporting her weaknesses, and the scoreboard really shows that. Over the last five years, she's hardly been off the podium. Just an incredible success story. And now, more than ever, she's tweaking those weaknesses, her, her mental strategies, and developing her technical skills on the bike to just become a dominant force and a dominant champion in 2019. Katie's just someone that knows herself and has taken full ownership of her life. Just an incredible champion. Her performances are just no fluke. It's all because of her process. Now, some quick housekeeping before we get going. For show notes, timestamps and links, coupon codes for the sponsor's products, go to bennettendurance.com forward slash media. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, please share. You'd be doing me a huge favor with that. Um, I'd love your feedback and any reviews, whether that's on the social media, um, where I can get back to you, or if it's on iTunes, you can leave me a review there. That's, that also is uh, helpful, but I can't get back to you. Enjoy this chat. I really did. Before we start, I've got to give a quick shout out to the brands that make this show possible. The only brands I'm working with are brands that provide products that I use daily and truly believe in. These products support my immunity, they help improve my recovery and my focus. First up, my friends at Athletic Greens. I love this company and I love their all-in-one daily drink. It's become a part of my morning routine. I'm heavily focused on supporting my immunity and boosting my energy and, and helping my gut health, but I want to do it naturally. And I found that support with Athletic Greens, a whole food sourced green drink that tastes great and there's no hassle. It's delivered straight to your door. And it's a highly absorbable powder that takes seconds to mix with water, so there's no clumpiness to deal with. I can't believe a green drink sourced from Whole Foods can actually taste so good. Personally, I truly love it. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins and minerals. It's packed with aptogens for recovery, probiotics and digestive enzymes for gut health, and vitamin C and zinc citrate for immune support. So Athletic Greens is designed to help fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. And there's a great offer going on now for you to give it a try. Simply go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg to claim our special offer of 20 free tra daily travel packets with your first order. $79 added value. And get Athletic Greens delivered straight to your door. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. This show is also brought to you by my friends at Hyperice. Some of these products I've been using for almost a decade. Makers of the award-winning Hypervolt the world's most powerful percussion massage device featuring quiet glide technology. Hyperice is a wellness tech company that makes devices designed to help you move better. From handheld massage devices to vibrating foam rollers, thermal technology, and the Normatec compression systems, Hyperice helps you warm up faster, recover quicker, and simply move better. Used in professional training rooms throughout the NBA, the NFL, MLB, the MLS, Ironman, and other professional organizations for well over a decade, designed to help improve circulation, flexibility, and relieve tension. Get $50 off all percussion devices now, no code needed, and get an additional 10% off with code GREG10 at hyperice.com. That's hyperice.com, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com, and use code GREG10 for 10% off. And finally, I want to give a huge shout out to my mushroom buddies at Four Sigmatic and they're tremendous supporters of this show. An incredible wellness company that mixes shrooms and aptogens with coffee, cocoa latte, 
protein powder, and even edible skincare products. One of my staples is the mushroom coffee with lion's mane. And wow, I just love how much more productive and creative and, and clear thinking I am. Plus, it includes chaga, which is the king of the mushrooms. Right now, chaga is my favorite functional mushroom. The compounds and antioxidant properties of chaga play a big role in supporting our immune system and maintaining its function. You're probably thinking, ah, does this coffee taste like mushrooms? And I can guarantee you it just tastes like regular coffee and not like mushrooms at all. Best of all, Four Sigmatic stands behind their products unconditionally with a 100% money-back guarantee. Love every sip or get your money back. And of course, we have a special offer for you as a Be With Champions listener. Receive 15% off your Four Sigmatic order. Just go to foursigmatic.com forward slash Greg or enter code Greg at checkout. That is F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash Greg to receive 15% off your order. All right. I've been looking forward to this chat. My guest today has stepped herself gradually, systematically up in the triathlon world rankings. You seriously, you couldn't have scripted it any better. Fifth in 2015 at the World Championships, fourth in 2016, third in 2017, second in 2018, just narrowly missing the win there. But it wasn't her time. Her time was 2019, where she showed dominating form, incredible bravery, and just tremendous grit to take her first ITU World Championship and win the grand final in the process. She's trained herself to have absolutely zero weaknesses. She's a fierce competitor and just an incredible human being. And I'm truly excited and really appreciate her coming on my show. So welcome and thank you for joining me on Be With Champions, Katie Zafaris. How are you, Katie, and where are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. We are in Hampstead, Maryland in the USA, staying in my um, my parents' house, the, the home I grew up in, actually. Uh, we've born and raised in this house. Okay. So you're not in your, you guys were on that tiny house show. I remember uh, uh, you're not living in your tiny house. In, that's in California or somewhere, isn't it? Are you still doing that? Correct. It's in California. <laughs> There's a guy named Dave living in it, renting it out. Um, we haven't lived in it even this winter when we were in Santa Cruz, but mainly because it's about 15 minutes from everything. It's on um, my sister-in-law's property. And especially going into what we thought was going to be an Olympic year, we had decided that we wanted to make sure that we were situated in a place that just made training really easy and put us in the best environment possible. So we actually um, rented an apartment from a family friend and stayed like we could walk to the pool and easily train out the door and um, running wise is like a lot more um, inspiring from the place we stayed versus uh, where the tiny house is. Yeah. So. I, I just love that when uh, <laughs> I think I'd, I'd only just met you guys maybe a year or two before and then suddenly here you were on Tiny yeah, Home. Yeah. I, don't, I don't remember the name of the show. Was it Tiny, tiny, tiny Home? House Nation. Tiny House Nation, and here you guys were. Um, I just, I loved it. I was like, ah, here's a step out of the sport of triathlon into a different kind of area. And you guys have designed this amazing little tiny house. But um, anyway, yeah, no, I, I totally understand where you're coming from with the Olympic process. You want to make sure things are as easy as possible. There's already enough kind of stress going on and 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 pressure that you kind of need to keep things as simplistic as possible. What what I want to do now is just, I want to get right into it with you because. I want to just reflect back on 2019, um, and I guess that almost starts by looking at 
2018. You can't look at 2019 without 2018 in the sense of the consistent amazing year you had in 2018, but no major wins. Um, and then trying something really unique and different at the grand final, trying to make something special happen that I think was the catalyst for a different Katie come 2019. So tell me about that 2018 going into 2019 and let's step through the incredible year. Yeah, I mean, 2018 was like an, another very consistent year of being on the podiums and um, definitely, definitely had my like Vicky competitions uh, with her and Abu Dhabi. Finish, if I would have been able to finish that one, might have helped, might have helped me along with that. But um, like you said, the going into the grand final, like. Um, and even within the grand final up until like the second 5k of the, of the, mm-hmm. of the run, <laughs> um, I was feeling really good. And I, had, I was racing in a different way than I think um, what I have done, had done in the past and just kind of racing more fearlessly and um, more up front. And it's kind of a part of that process goal that I've had for a while where I write it out and say like, um, Joel and I will say for the run, like go out as hard as you can for the first two K and then whatever happens, happens. And, um, that was like the beginning of that for me. And I did, (laughs) and, um, I felt really, really good. And I almost think it was, um, which is kind of disappointing, but when I look back, I almost feel like when Ash gaffed me and because Ash gentle was, um, I was running with her for a bit. And then when Ash got me and Vicky passed me, it kind of all happened in my mind at the same time. And I think I just, to me, it was a mental void. It was like a gap of, in focus. And I've had it before where it's like, I'm doing well, I'm feeling great. And then it's like, wait, wait a second. There are there, like two people are in front of me now. Like, how did this happen? Mm. And, um, and I knew I'd like, when I finished the race, I'd, I finished in third and I had to beat Vicky in order to win the title for 2018. But like, I, I liked how I had raced it more assertively and I knew there was something to get better at it. Like, because for me, I I really felt like it was just being able to engage for that, those critical points so that that wouldn't happen again in the future. And between Vicky and her, (laughs) um, other Great Britain teammate uh, with Georgia Taylor Brown, I really learned the mantra to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> and that really put in my in my mind, like to be ready for those moments so that those gaps don't happen and I can mm. stay with them and fight through whatever discomfort there is for like a little bit. Mm. Just just let me interrupt there just in case the listeners maybe have missed some of those events. You know, going into that grand final um, of 2018, I think you had a very narrow lead. I think it was like 30 points. And, and when we're talking four or 5,000 points at the end of the season, it was really neck and neck between yourself and the uh, British girl, uh, Vicky Holland. And, and basically it was whoever beat who was going to be the world champion. And the way that you've raced over the five years, it's just been incredible. I don't know whether you're negative splitting or just simply not slowing down, but you've always been that person that we're so used to seeing at 5K start just plowing through the field and and suddenly you're up at least onto the podium. And that grand final, and the reason I mentioned it is was, was the first time that I, yeah, like you said, you were the aggressor. 
you were the one that said, right, we're going to run this 5K really fast, this first 5K, and then let's just see what happens. Um, but in the end, it, it kind of hurt you in terms of winning that grand final. But then let's let's move forward six months. You've had that experience of being the aggressor. You didn't let it say, I'm not going to do that again. You said, actually, I, I enjoyed being a front runner. I mean, is that what happened? Because then we go forward six months, first race, Abu Dhabi 2019, and you know, it was a sprint race, but but away you went. So tell me about that kind of a process that you had, that that mental, physical process that almost a change in personality. You know, it was there was a physical change, but it was a real mental shift, would you say? Yeah, like I think it was a combination of a few different things because I felt like in general, I've always con- one of the things I've considered is that I'm I'm an evolving athlete, and like I think that by having that in my head as that's what I am, that's who I am, I just see myself getting better each year, and I think that plays into part of why I've gotten better each year. But also, like being with Joel, I've been with Joel since December of 2014, so I've been consistently with the same coach, working with Tommy, my husband, to like continue to get better and figuring that part out. So I think like that obviously played a role. But then the way I raced. 2018 for the grand final was yeah and in a more assertive way and then it made me feel like oh I'm not following in Gwen's footsteps anymore I'm not following in (laughs) in Flora's footsteps anymore like I can be that person that I've always been like I need to I need to catch them I want to catch them I'm trying to do as well as they are and I want people to do that with me now (laughs) Wow. I love that mindset. I'm sorry. That's just absolutely phenomenal because it's like, how do you be the one that actually is the one that people are chasing? And that's a big step for, for anybody to take, to be the one that's actually raising the bar. Keep, I mean, keep going. That's just phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, well, being really confident in my process and being confident in what I do. And um, I think that's something that has grown over the past few years. Like when I first started with Joel, I didn't really take much ownership into my training plan. And I just followed what he said, which I think was really good at the time because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. I, I needed more of his guidance. And then I'm a big like, I like reflecting. I like writing things out. I like goal setting. And so like after each race, I would reflect on like what went well and what didn't. And especially after Rio, I, I just realized like I wanted to do things differently and not like drastically differently, but there were certain things that, for instance, um, with bike skills, like I knew I was going to have to put a lot more focus on that, both in the mental and the physical realm. And make it so it was out of my comfort zone for training. And by doing all these things, like, and having a bit of ownership in it, I think that just helped all those specific, um, like skills kind of develop and, and give me the confidence that like I was doing everything I needed to do to be the best I could possibly be. Mm. I look at you and I, I see somebody that is optimizing their strengths, which is what I'm all about. I, I'm a big believer in you've, God's given us strengths or whoever you believe. We've all got strengths. We've all got talents. And I think we should optimize them to the best of our ability. And then, but it doesn't mean we can't, you know, focus on our weaknesses. We need to outsource. We need to figure out ways to improve our weaknesses. Um, you're definitely somebody that's, you know, you've obviously got the weapons um, 
within the swim to start, but then you've you've worked incredibly hard on that run um, to now be. I don't know. There's many girls that can outrun you. And then you've had some small weaknesses on the bike, and I call them small because you've, you've got that ability to ride with such power and strength on the bike, and you've just had those few little areas on the on the cornering and some of the technical skills that you've you've now developed. How 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 have you done that? How have you changed your ability to ride a bike the cornering? What have you been doing specifically? A few different things. I mean, I work what well, so one of the things with Rio that I went into and it's, it's very much similar to you saying about optimizing the strength, because I think in Rio, everyone had talked about this steep uphill and they were like, it's like 20%. Like that was like the big talking point of the Rio course, but no one was talking about the downhill on the other side of it. And that to me, like freaked me out through like just, really caused me a lot of anxiety. I think I was in tears before like the test event um, because I just felt so like scared and it was like fear-based. And so even after like Rio, like I was better, but like most of my, (laughs) most of my time on screen for the Rio Olympics was my butt. And like, I got a lot of time, but it was not the, not the side of me I wanted people (laughs) to see. It was because I was at the back of the pack and (laughs) that was, that was where you found me. And so I forgot about my strengths going into that race. And I had completely focused on the things I wasn't able to change. I was completely focused on the fear of the, the downhill rather than uh, skipping probably a, a little bit in in this discussion, but like for 2019 Lausanne, I had crashed two and a half weeks earlier. And then Lausanne was like a pretty technical course. But for Lausanne, I went into it a bit scared of the downhills and knowing I was concerned about like some of the technical parts of it and like barriers and things like that. But my mental preparation for that was more okay like if I get dropped on a corner that's okay I'm strong enough to catch up Mm. and so it was because when it comes to the race there's not much you can (laughs) you're not I can't change my weaknesses at that point but I can have my focus be on what I know I can do and what I'm capable of doing and so I think that changed how I raced in the mental side of things. And I worked with a sports psychologist for all of that and um, talked to Joel a lot just about the mental side of things. But then also like for the physical parts, it's like Joel started implementing um, our, our squad would do more like crit based workouts and we would go to parking lots that were vacant wherever we were. We would find the best area that we could and we would do like, pretty high speed, high power workouts within a small area. So it was really race, race like. And then I have Tommy Zafiris, who has been he one of his skills is really, really having great bike skills. And it's not just for me, but for like, he helps our whole group with that. And so being able to follow his wheel and be intentional with it, not just on the days we were doing um, those workouts in the parking lot. But what I found is just like today we went on a ride and if we hit a corner, I try and follow his wheel as close as I possibly can. And every time afterwards, if he thinks it's also like a technical corner, I can see him like look back. He won't say anything, <laughs> but he'll like look back to see how close I am still after we hit the corner. And then if he thinks it's really good, I'll get like a thumbs up. 
And then if not, he'll just like slow down and wait for me to catch up. <laughs> so that mm-hmm. happens too. Um, and then doing like group rides. So when we're in Santa Cruz, we'll do Wednesday and Sunday group rides. And I found those to be so beneficial because it's we, we pick a group ride that we think is safe and that like we know the people and it's a lot of like the same regular riders each time but also they're really unpredictable so they're very and like very race like with positioning and skills so like between like those few different things i f- i feel like that's how my riding's continuing to develop and i wouldn't say i'm like where i'm at 100% of the where I want to be a hundred percent of the time, but like, I really can feel that it's something that I'm getting better with and more comfortable with and going back to corners, even in training or riding that have challenged me in the past and now hitting those same corners and not even knowing why I was breaking before. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I like how you've broken it down into the two, the the physical and the mental. Is there something I mean, I do want to definitely touch on far more on Lasan and the grand final last year um, because that was just incredible bravery in the way that you – I just – there's very few athletes I've ever seen actually um, that have stepped back after having the kind of crash that you had two weeks before and then um, come back and do what you did in Lasan. But I want to step back to that later. <laughs> For now, I, I'm just – I'm loving this conversation about the physical and mental preparation for the technical side that doesn't – isn't your strengths um, and you've recognized that, but you're working at it. What are you saying to yourself when you approach a corner or are you able to quieten the mind? And I've said that a number of on, on this episode a number of times with guests, um, the ability of the highest performers to be able to turn the mind, just quieten everything down, quieten the negativity down. doesn't mean I've got to be positive, like right yeah. up to a corner going, I'm going to be the best corner in the world. It's just quieten down are you saying that kind of thing to yourself what are you saying as you approach those technical corners now when you're trying to keep up with a flora duffy or whoever it is that's obviously a dynamite on the corners yeah it definitely depends on the day i feel like because some days i can quiet the mind easier and i can feel more uh, like the corners feel smoother and it doesn't feel as disjointed as other days so um i would say in I would love, I like when my mind is quiet and I'm just able to like flow with whoever's in front of me or, or myself. Um, I think in general, just with practice, I'm getting better at like reading the corners and focusing on more like concrete, like weight on my outside foot, like how my body position is. And a lot of that probably comes from just kind of watching watching Tommy and being behind him and almost mimicking him as we ride together and we ride together all the time. So like being able to kind of watch what he does and, and I've been able to relax more because I would say the hardest part for me before, and that I'm getting a lot better with is like, I would just tense up, like my arms would tense up and like the more tense, the more scared I got, like the more dangerous I become (laughs) basically. So, um, really just trying to like relax my arms and focus on those like concrete kind of cues to take my mind from oh crap oh crap oh crap to like (laughs) oh like what am I going to do and like how do I like break before like like it's learning probably all those technique things and getting my getting my brain from like an emotional state more into like a productive state where it's like okay well like this is how we're going to do this. And obviously practicing 
and getting better at it has helped ease the me- like made it less mental for me. Mm. But it's still I would say it's still something where I think about before races like and especially um if they're races where <laughs> there's been an issue before where I've had like are super technical or it's rainy or um whatever it is like I know for um Jersey going into Super League last year like or for 2019 um I was really nervous and like like kind of losing it in my head a bit and Joel he's like write down your process because he now knows me enough he knows like if I if I write it out if I get it out of my head and put it on paper or even type it up then like it becomes so much more clear to me then it's all like jump and and way less overwhelming whereas in my head it's just like jumbled and and I'm just kind of overwhelmed. So as soon as he did that, I was like, okay, <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm feeling a bit better now. Does it help you to think that you're not alone? Um, that, you know, even I raced, well, what, uh, 26, 27 years as a professional and, you know, in a wet technical course, I still, you know, had those moments was like, oh crap, oh crap. I mean, it's, it's, none of us want to go down. It doesn't, tickle when you crash <laughs> and it's no. like and, and sometimes when the crashes are a bit fresher they're a little bit of a reminder but does that kind of help you to think well hang on the girls around me are still everybody still has that trepidation none of us are you know that confident i think we can some some of us can portray it better but often you know the ones that have the bravado and go yeah i'm an amazing technical writer and everything else i feel like they're almost just patting you know punching their chest and uh, does that make you feel any better if you thought you know the girls around you are all kind of feeling the same it definitely makes me feel better I mean one of (laughs) I think one of the best things my sports psychologist ever tells me and she's like I think that's normal and I was just like okay (laughs) like yeah if it's normal like that's fine (laughs) yeah yeah and I I think a lot of your competition a lot of your competition don't have the strength and power that you have and and the engine that you've got to even make up the differences either so they're even more desperate to try and get through the corner you know I mean I think gone are the days I think we've seen where you know Flora would sort of get get away from you over the corners I think with your ability now I think you've kind of proved that that you've You've made such progress, whether that's working with Tommy and Joel or your bike sponsor. I think you're with uh, Specialized. You know, are they helping you with tire choice and comfort of just getting the bike in the right? Because there's a lot of comfort required to be on the bike that's just comfortable, that you feel like you can lean into a corner so the tires are going to grip, that the the bike's going to feel comfortable underneath you. Have you been working with them a bit on that as well? Oh yeah, for sure. Like they help me with like the tire choice, and um, they they know I like to get like the equipment a bit earlier because. They know uh, the more I'm practiced on whatever I'm going to be racing on, the better I feel with it. So um, that's been awesome. Also, just like riding the uh, the Venge and the Tarmac are the two bikes I ride, and being able to ride which both bikes confidently mm. is really really key for me because like one of the things with crashing in well any race, but like is for me being able to like get on another bike if if my bike that I had been racing is no longer functional and still be able to do a good job on on a on a bike that might not be like my personal bike even if it's the same same type of bike and I've had no issues with that like for for in Tokyo I unfortunately retired my bike that day and it was a Venge and so for Lausanne I rode a tarmac that 
Tommy, Tommy and I are, are pretty fortunate because we're the same exact size. <laughs> so oh, that's great. <laughs> so he always rides another bike that I can, I'll, I'm able to ride if I need to, which I did. <laughs> so, so I rode the tarmac and like feeling, being able to feel confident, especially after crashing is definitely (laughs) definitely worth a lot (laughs) yeah it's not it's not easy when you've had a nasty crash to try and get your get your head around it again and get going and you know for me i think when i retired i wrote out that i had 33 bike crashes or something i stopped counting by the time i'm like well i actually maybe i wasn't very good technically you know i crashed a lot i mean a lot of that was kind of just pushing a little too hard through roundabouts and all kinds of things they went bad crashes but it was kind of like huh maybe i wasn't that good technically <laughs> but all right let, let's have a look then at 2019 first three races on the trot i mean you hadn't you'd won one world series race back in what was that 2015 2016 in hamburg uh, which we'll we'll get back to in a little bit but then this year 2019 just come out and just go bang it was like this is the era like we've seen often in women's racing we've seen the flora duffy gwen jorgensen emma snowsill um these kind of eras where it's one individual woman that just says right i am the new bar and you girls are going to have to try and catch me it was like you just came out of the gun and just went bang. Was that, I mean, your off-season must have been fantastic, mentally, physically, emotionally. Tell me about those first three races and how that all felt. Yeah, I mean, we've, Tommy and I, like I said, we, we've started training together a few years ago now, but it's definitely been um, something that's gotten better. And we've it, when we first started training together, it wasn't very easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was it's quite a challenge to train with your significant other and figure out for me, it was a lot of, I had a lot of stubbornness in the sense where like Tommy would try to give me advice and be like, you're not my coach. Like I only want to listen to Joel. Mm-hmm. And, but this advice was like valid. <laughs> and so as soon as I was able to start listening to him and learning from him and like even following his wheel or working on skills with him, um, then that opened up like a whole nother door of how I was going to get better. And I mean, there's still days where he'll give advice and now he'll, now I'll ask if, if it seems like my frame of mind might be borderline, he'll say, can I tell you something or can I give, can I say something to you? And I'll be like, just give me a second. (laughs) And then like maybe five minutes later, I'll be like, all right, I'm ready. Like, he's like, a smart man. He's a smart man. Yes, he learns. He learns. <laughs> um, but so we had gone in, we had had like a great training, um, like a training block in Santa Cruz. And one of the things that we had started doing because we train really well together, we love being with our Joel filial group. But once we leave for the, like, once the racing season begins, then that's us on the road for the rest of the for the rest of the year. So rather than kind of start that earlier than necessary, we started staying home from like November through Abu Dhabi. So November through March and just training with the two of us with our uh, Wednesday Sunday group rides. With I just found a strength coach Jeff Marino in Santa Cruz who I really have enjoyed learning from and actually going to someone for specific strength sessions has been valuable for me. And so like, I just felt like I had everything that I needed and was just able to put the work in for the whole winter. So I felt pretty confident because I mean, I'm always trying to beat the boys. Like 
for for like the group rides and with Tommy like he 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 knows how to read me when we're doing training sessions to the point where like I don't have to say much to him but like the breathing he'll listen to my breathing and decide whether to go faster or not so with that like that definitely gave me confidence going into Abu Dhabi but it's still the first race of the season and then winning Abu Dhabi I was like well maybe that's a one time <laughs> like mm-hmm. you, I, you don't know if you can replicate it again but it was a good start but it was like Bermuda I think that I really felt I had nailed to a, a point that was like way what I had intended what I had been visualizing what I'd been like preparing for and so that one felt like that was probably one of my favorite races because everything I had like had in my head that I could do I did on I like did on that race and a lot of that is because of Flora because the year before she had completely crushed us like us being the entire field like (laughs) and she just got away from the beginning and like beat us all by like I think it was 90 seconds or more and and she did it solo and so like I started watching, I hate, I hate watching races because it just makes you, it makes me uncomfortable. Like I feel all the tension and everything of racing when I watch the races from the years before. So I really don't enjoy it, but I like, I really watched that race because I, I wanted to see like, I know floor is good, but like, I want to do what she did. <laughs> like, and, and so I, that was like, that was the goal. And I didn't like how much she crushed us by that year. And I was sad because she couldn't do it last Like she was injured a lot of last year. But um, being able to really have a very solid race. And also it was made extra special by the fact that Tommy's at every race. So that's that's really special. But also my parents and Tommy's parents and a couple of my aunts were there. And like it was just one of those races I'll always remember. Let me just quickly interrupt because I want you to keep going. But you won that race by well over 90 seconds. I think I just looked at the math. It was a minute 41 or something. That's the kind of domination you had in Bermuda. It was, uh, it was okay, Flora might have done it the, in 2018. But uh, I tell you what, that was uh, Katie Zafiris' here kind of moment. <laughs> incredible. Absolutely incredible. Congrats on that one. I <laughs> Thank think you. We, we, we all long for those, just to have one of those races in our career, you know, it's like, yeah, so, yeah congrats on that one. So keep on going then because this is just, it was such a role. Yeah. And then what was the race after Bermuda? Bermuda was, let me give you one second here. It was Yokohama. Uh, Yo- Yokohama was a different race because being in Yokohama was one where we were in a bigger bike pack. So like the first two races of the year were Abu Dhabi and um, Bermuda. And for those, there was a pretty significant breakaway and a much smaller group off the front. So Yokohama, I forget how many of us were in the front group, but I knew it was going to come down to a run race. And well, after a certain amount of time on the bike, I knew it was going to come down to a run race. (laughs) And for me, that was going to be a good challenge. And I think one of the things that I also changed in my mindset going into 2019 was I, I've always been focused on the process, but I've 
I feel like I looked at races as if it was a test of like, I need to perform on this day and there's no, there's not room for error. And going into 2019, I looked at it more as an experiment and kind of like, I call it like an explorative mindset I would use for the races where it would be like, Joel and I would set out like those, those different goals. And a lot of them look really, look very similar from race to race. But like I was saying, one of them is like going out as fast as I can for like the first 2K of the race and then seeing what happens and really embracing that like, I can do that. Like I can go as hard as I want up the hill in Bermuda and see what happens. And like, and if it works, like great. If it doesn't work, like, okay, well, we'll figure out something different. And like that, I think having that mindset though, it was great because it had me like trying different things, but also it just, it worked out most of the time. And it took out a lot of the pressure of trying to have that as a test rather than like just a reflection and another indicator of like, where can I improve? So with Yokohama, it was all right. Well, if this comes down to a run race, like how am I going to, how am I going to do that? And I, we kind of thought just based off the course that it might've been a different race than, um, the first two in the season. So kind of mentally prepared for that as well. And so when it came down to the run, it was me and Summer Rappaport and, um, I was running with her and I remember I'm a big, I like segmenting things. So that course is super fun on the run because there's so many, it's not really like, it's not a boring, like out and back type course. It has like a lot of different turns and different sections and hills and stuff. So for me, it's mentally, I really like just being able to break up the races. And I remember like a certain, like a certain left-hand corner where I just thought of like in a video game where they have like the speed up versions where it's like the fast <laughs> zone. I love and that. So like, that was my fast zone. And like, wow. I don't know. And so for that, I kind of put in a surge. I don't even remember when somewhere during like after the hill, I think, and, um, ran as hard as I could to the finish. And yeah, it was cool to be able to pull off like a run race, like not just have to have a breakaway and win a race, but I could pull off a different type of race and still win. Yeah, that that was a phenomenal race. I mean, you ran a another low thirty four minute ten k off of what wasn't a slow bike, you know, you, yeah. and, and, and quite a technical bike that would have hurt a lot of a lot of the women racing. But you, you you still, I mean, I remember watching that, and it was that there's there's a real confidence that comes about. I love the explorative mindset that you said because it's it's almost like you're playing now, like you're free to play. And, and what I mean by that is you've 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 built over these years this consistent platform. You've been seconds and thirds forever and you've, 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 you've been ranked in the top five of the world for five years in a row. And you, so all of a sudden it's like, okay, I've done all of that. Now, worst case scenario, I either, I either lose or I win and just go for it and have some fun. And I guess looking at that looking forward so i just want to jump forward and then we'll come back to 2019 how do you take that playful mindset that explorative mindset to tokyo 21 and the olympics without it being so can, can you do that do you think you can take that kind of play that sense of play and, and put it on the race course at the olympics and and do you practice that now in your visualizing to get yourself ready I definitely practice it now and I would like to think I can <laughs> <laughs> uh, for Tokyo 2021 because 
that was a huge part of Rio where I finished Rio and I was really disappointed in my race. And I was really disappointed in the fact that I had gone to the Olympics, which is an amazing experience. And a lot of this had to do with the timing of our race at the time because um, triathlon was like the second to last event. So all leading up to the to race day, like I'm trying to focus all my energy on just just racing. And and then once it was done, I was disappointed and the Olympics was basically over. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I was so like, I was disappointed not just with like the result, but just the fact that my memories of the Olympics, like I often forget to name the Olympics as something that I <laughs> like went to or considered like the biggest part of my career because of what I would put as like my fault of like how I experienced it. And so a huge part is now like going places and like being able to take in not just the race and prepare because I'm getting like, I'm figuring out my process for that. I'm feeling pretty confident in how I prepare and make sure that I like know the course really well, have done my homework and like, doing things the right way, have training all dialed in. But also like when we go to Bermuda, we'll do our training leading into the race. So we're also exploring the area. So it's like asking Flora, like, where's a great place to do like an open water swim? Like where, which places are the prettiest? Like where's a good place to like go for a run? And like kind of, um, we did that even for the like test event, like going to kind of see different areas and I remember for like Tokyo it was we found this awesome like little bike loop it must have been like 2k long or something but it was completely close to traffic and it was just like this gem of like at least I thought it was (laughs) and kind of just like more taking in all these experiences that we get to experience and especially with me being able to experience it all with Tommy like so that I don't finish my career and think like, well, like, what did I do? (laughs) (laughs) I I totally get what you're saying. Laura would often say to me, and she was my Tommy to some degree in the sense that she was often my, (laughs) my grounder and made me realize what we were doing. And, and she would say, look, we're using the sport of triathlon to experience life together. Yeah, right? and, and and it was a real grounding because it was like, well, what are we what are we really doing? Well, we're using it the, to go meet friends around the world. We're using it to test ourselves. We're using it for all these kind of things to learn more about ourselves and learn more about the world. But also, in fairness to you, with the the Olympic Games, with triathlon being on the second to last day, um, you, you're so focused on that mindset of, of of a race. It's hard to embrace the Olympic Village and the Olympic spirit and everything when it's on the second to last day. You didn't get that chance to kind of. Even if it was a disappointing race, you didn't get to make up for it by kind of going and just enjoying the Olympics. So it's kind of, I get what you're saying that I didn't really get to appreciate the Olympics, but it was also, I think the timing of the event was kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so then you kind of, I think moving on in 2019, you, you, can, you had a, a second place at Leeds, um, which is still, I think that was your best performance you've had at Leeds, right? Or have you been second there before? I was I think you maybe I was third the year before but you um but that was an unusual race because it was I remember watching it and going well Katie's about to make a surge 
and take the win. <laughs> it's like it, the gap never closed. Uh, uh, the young British girl, Georgia Taylor Brown, was just woman, I should say, excuse me, um, was just so strong and consistent, and you never closed that that gap. It was uh, it was an extraordinary race. What was going through your mind on that day? Yes, so that one is that's where also the be ready mantra became more important to me. Is a very similar. Um, where I like I I think I just lost focus for a second because mm. I can't say that it was physical in the moment because that gap stayed the exact same <laughs> for for the entire time and if it was physical I feel like I would have just kept going backwards you know or like com- like lost more time on her but I, I wasn't necessarily losing more time but by the time I noticed that the gap had formed I was like all right. Well, I'm going to like take out like this many seconds on the next lap to get like halfway to her. And then I'm going to like be running with her on the next lap. <laughs> and it didn't happen. So, so I, I tried. I made a valiant effort to, to get up there again. But um, yeah, I, I wasn't able to close the gap. And so learning from Leeds, I then went into Montreal being ready for Georgia Taylor Brown <laughs> and for whatever move she would make. <laughs> I felt like you were just sharing the wins a little bit. You went yeah, yeah. Three, and I thought that was very nice of you. I think it, <laughs> I think allowing Georgia to win on home soil and, and all of that was probably one of the highlights. <laughs> she'll, she'll probably remember for the, her, the rest of her life because uh, I believe that was her first World Series win as well. Um, so maybe it was just a lovely gift. <laughs> yeah, no, it was my birthday that weekend. It's oh, okay. <laughs> it really was a gift then. <laughs> yeah. But then to Montreal, like you said, I mean, it was like, okay, not again. Stay focused. <laughs> yes. Yes. Stay focused. I mean, when, when the Brits were just so consistent with mm. this past year as well, and having like Georgia and Jess be on the like so many podiums together, it was, it was super fun. And, it was really a cool way to race because of course you're racing against your competitors trying to do your best, but like George is like the sweetest, well, both George and Jess, but like George is like the one who goes to the water station and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to run faster and just not get water. And then she runs up to me to hand me the water that she got like that kind of personality. Yeah. yeah, Very special human. Yeah. Like she's so sweet. And such a good competitor as well so like when you when she's on the bike in our group like I know it's gonna be a tough race that I need to figure out like okay like after learning from leads like now be ready for and I always run I would say like my style of racing is (laughs) fear-based where I'm always waiting I never know what anyone else has in their engine left. And so even when I'm running like towards the finish, like Tommy always is like, your finish shots are like terrible. Like, because <laughs> I, I don't like have a move, I guess, at the end. <laughs> no, I, I, I've got something I can even share with you. So do you know the, uh, probably the world's greatest, well, second greatest after Tommy, but sports photographer, Delhi Carr. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Th- Delhy was on been on the world circuit. Well, he took my first photo back in 88, 89 or whatever. So I've known Delhy forever. And and he used to say, Greg, you just 
you take terrible photos, mate. You're always pulling faces <laughs> and everything else. And I, I always say, Daly, it's, uh, it's not a beauty competition, mate. And take a photo yeah. of my inside or something like that. I'd always have some, some smart ass remark. But so I get where you're coming from. You have my, you, have my, yeah. you know, you're, you're racing in fear and it hurts. And I'm just trying to get to the finishing line. Well, I just, the whole, like, even when you're sprinting at the end, like, I don't look back. Like, I never look back to see where my competitor is because to me, my competitor is right on my shoulder. And, and only after, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. and after I cross the finish line, when I, I'm like, ah, like they weren't, they weren't quite as close as I thought they were. <laughs> but like, I think that's what makes me better too, because I'm always like, I'm always pushing myself to go fast. Like even in, in Bermuda, when like I had a pretty significant gap, but I thought the second the second pack was chasing me down. Like I'd look at where they were on the course, and I'm like, "Oh, they're gaining, they're gaining." <laughs> like, and it it drives me to go faster. And I'm not complacent with just winning. I want to win by as much as I can. Mm, I love that. Wow. That was just a brilliant quote right there. <laughs> I, I, and I think talking about that, using fear is almost an energy. It's, it's, it's like that's something that can really fuel you is uh, I think a great champion knows how to do that rather than freeze you because I think fear can go either way. It can either yeah. fuel you or it can freeze you. And you've, you've learned to, to really optimize it. Uh, and and I, and get them even more out of yourself than maybe what you thought you could. So I mean, using fear as a fuel is a talent, uh, and you've been able to master that. So I think you should give yourself a good pat on the back, and and you've been able to do that so successfully. Just a quick mini break before we get back to the show. I just want to remind you guys to go check out athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Sign up and get your free 20 daily travel packets with your first order of $79 added value. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. I want to step forward and, and talk about this final part of 2019 because I just think this is one of the most remarkable feats that we've seen in, in triathlon. Um, because off you go to Tokyo for the test event. It wasn't part of the World Series, but it definitely was a selection event for, for many, many countries and, and the USA specifically. Um, tell me about what happened in Tokyo. Yeah, well, memory is a little fuzzy, um, <laughs> but I felt really good leading into it. We were just coming off of a training block in Flagstaff where we'd not only been doing altitude training, but we'd also were implementing heat things and getting to Tokyo, I was thinking, oh, it's not like training there for like the week or whatever we were there leading up to it. Like I've, I felt in a good place. I felt like we had prepared well for it and we got, well, come race day, like the swim, the swim was fine. Like it wasn't, I wouldn't have said it was like a spectacular swim, but I came out with, well, behind Jess, but in, in good position and was riding. I think we had, I remember just being like really like off the front for a bit. And then I think we had just like kind of caught her and had like a little group together. And I don't exactly know what I did, but I hit a barrier on a straight, which is like, like I have like, you know, what, what we were talking about, like fears sometimes with courses, but it's never on a straight, like, <laughs> um, but apparently from the girls in the group, I had 
like looked back to like shout words of encouragement or something. And mm-hmm. I somehow ended up in the barrier, which it was even more frustrating because when I went back the next day to like look, there were literally like on this whole like straight, it was like three barriers <laughs> on the, <laughs> the entire road. And so I mean, I, I've never watched the video. I don't really plan to. Um, <laughs> well, I have. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I remember watching it live and being like, what happened? Yeah. I mean, it was, but I get it. You know, anybody that's ridden a bike, um, you know, you look back if you're looking for a car or if you're looking for somebody to come, come and take a pull through, help me out a little bit. You often do sway a little bit to the right or if you're looking left you you often sway to the right and vice versa um and that's what it looked like to me you like you said you kind of did that little look back you probably went off your line a foot half a foot and it was enough that you just clipped a little leg that was a barrier i mean it was a it was it was a bit of a mistake and and you've got ownership of it but it was uh that's all it was and i think you'll be more aware in the future but uh, (laughs) never looking back no encouraging words (laughs) yeah just just wave just put your hand through and wave um but but yeah i mean and then tell me tell me what what happened after that crash so the the first thing i remember is just like standing on the side thinking like can i keep going and I don't, I guess I wasn't actually seeing my bike when I was considering this because I was just thinking, I remember thinking that I was at the wheel pit. So I was like, this is perfect. Like a great place to crash at the wheel pit. But (laughs) I'd completely shattered my front wheel. Like, um, and then I like noticed there was like blood dripping from me and I realized like I wasn't going to keep racing. So I just kind of sat on the side for a while and watched like the groups go by and got into the ambulance, uh, like eventually and was thinking like, well, not only did I just screw up like qualifying for the Olympics in 2019, which is one of my big goals was to qualify 2019. So it was, it was done. I mean, there's, there's more opportunities. So that's like the silver lining of, uh, that, but also like, did I completely just screw up winning the world championship, which I had had like a lot bigger of a buffer for than I did in 2018 going into the final race. So, um, and like my, what's funny is that when I was in the ambulance, I was like my, it was like my leg that was aching and my shoulder. And so when we went to the hospital, which I like, there were so many good people that were surrounding me that day from like, coaches from other federations who were like standing with me while we were waiting for other people on the side of the course to like the USA triathlon people within the ambulance with me to like the Japanese Federation sent a translator who was so helpful at the hospital. Um, and then all the nurses and everything were amazing. And it was such a, I mean, not that I try to test out other people's healthcare systems and other countries' healthcare <laughs> systems, but like Japan was great. Oh, that's <laughs> um, fantastic. But <laughs> so we were getting, I had taken the heat, I had the heat pill in my stomach from the from before the race. So we weren't able to do like any of the magnetic scans. Um, but this, I forget which one they were able to do. So, um, but the scans for like 
well, actually, the first one on my shoulder came back and said there was something wrong, which was kind of like scary. But then they did another one and said it was fine. And then <laughs> my leg was fine. And it was just my nose was broken. And like, I told him I had blood in my mouth. And when they looked in, the, <laughs> the nurse was like, oh, you can see the bone. <laughs> and, and what's funny is like, I had no scratches or anything on my face. But apparently because of the impact you can like split your gums so then I had they put like 20 some stitches in my mouth to like put my gums back together and then a couple on the upper lip but that was so I did that (laughs) left the hospital later um had more phenomenal people just with all the support. I mean, Jess and Georgia brought me like popsicles. Like they were <laughs> just, I don't know. You, you do racing for like our job, but the, the people and our competitors, like it, it almost makes me like tear up thinking about how wonderful people are in like those types of moments, especially Jess and Georgia when they, were having their own <laughs> mm. their own things going on at that point with like their race and how it finished so yeah yeah for people that don't know i'll just quickly explain <laughs> that um both jessica and georgia won the race together um put their hands together cross the line together um but the rules in the itu say that you, you basically you can't finish cross that line together i think it's rule number 2.11 F or something like that. Um, but, but I don't know why I know that. It just stuck. I was like, um, is that true? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. But but it is in black and white that we, we you know, every athlete has to cross. Now, look, I don't know that it's – if it's reasonable that every single athlete should know every single rule in, that, in such detail like that, um, I think they meant well. I think they're great human beings and they were very supportive of each other. Um, and they, they really – they were disqualified. And for both of them – it was, I think there was a two-step process in the British team, um, except for Vicky Holland, who just had to podium because she was an Olympic medalist from 2016. But for the other Brits, they had to podium there and then podium two weeks later at the grand final and they'd qualify for the Olympic Games. Um, so with them both basically on the podium, but then DQ'd, there was no chance of them um, to qualify. So when you say that they kind of dropped everything and still came and looked after you, even though they were dealing with potential Olympic dreams um, leaving. It's a really sweet moment and and all kudos to both of them um, for just being great humans. And, uh, you know, and I, and I think, I think the one thing in sport and of triathlon is there is a real family. There's a unique, it's a unique environment because we all go to hell and back. We're we're all, we're basically, we're all going to war. It's like this, uh, this camaraderie that we're all suffering together and then we all finish together or we don't finish or whatever happens. And, and I think we're, we understand the suffering and so you 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 do as much as we're competitors you do want the best for each other and um that's that's a really nice story though i I really like that and then so then you've loved the uh the japanese medical system that was a great (laughs) life learning lesson for for everyone you mentioned a heart pill i mean not a heart pill, a heat pill (laughs) yeah What, what 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 is that just for for people that don't know so the heat pill is basically just to measure your body temperature um, and they and USA Triathlon as well as like a lot of the other federations. We're really interested to see how um, our bodies are responding to the Tokyo heat and humidity and especially during races. And that's like your one chance 
to see before um, before the actual Olympics to see what that exact environment is is like or as close as possible to it. So it's really to collect more information and just um, I am never the one looking at the numbers. We always have our like sports physiologists look at it and um, that's that's for them to do and decide like if your protocols are working or if you like, you might still need to figure it out a bit more, but, um, that was, that was why we, we had it. Yeah. But you didn't get to see it for yourself, but I guess you'd well, be able I to- did, but it wasn't really that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, until the crash, everything looked like it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really that helpful. <laughs> so then was there a moment when, when was it? And, and what was your thought process after that race going, well, hang on the grand finals in Lausanne two weeks later. Two weeks. We're not talking about much time. You're in Japan. You got to get back to Switzerland, to Lausanne. Um, physically, I mean, your body is somewhat okay. I mean, except for twenty plus stitches in your mouth and a broken nose, which a nose helps for breathing, <laughs> so it's kind yes. of pretty critical. Um, you know, what was your emotional state and mental state that that two week process leading into Lausanne? Well, it was a mix. I mean. Having Joel was definitely very crucial in that. And also, yeah, like I talked to my sports psych. I, I normally, <laughs> one of the things I do with my sports psychologist since 2016 is that I just schedule the calls and I am not so like reactive with scheduling calls with speaking to her. After Tokyo, I was reactive. It was like, so this happened and I need to talk to you now. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and she was very willing to speak to me. But it was because it's a two-part thing, right? Like it's the physical part of making sure like my body is going to be okay. But honestly, once I found out like my shoulder and my leg were fine, like the unfortunately I've hit my face twice before this and I know how fast the face heals. And I also know you can still train (laughs) pretty well (laughs) with it. Um, so like in weird ways that was comforting to me. And then like Joel was good because he really just focused on making sure that I was going day to day and, like see what we can do today. And I mean, I think I was on the bike, like a different bike, but I was on the bike. I don't think maybe it wasn't that day, but it was like the next morning on the trainer. Um, Because another thing I've learned is having a crash, like the most important thing for me. And I would say for others is if you can get on the bike, like get on the bike because it makes, it leaves less time for like thoughts that are going to be disruptive to creep in and um, make you less confident. So getting, getting back on was, was crucial for me. Um, And then just like, I didn't swim for, I wasn't really able to do much swimming for a few days afterwards just because of my shoulder. And actually that was probably like my primary, one of my primary concerns leading into uh, Lausanne was just like being able to swim and also being a little bit afraid of like getting kicked in the face, um, or that. And then like for the bike, it was more just like 
<laughs> the mental aspect of like for some reason this is skipping forward a little bit closer to the race but we get to the race and for some reason people were talking about the barriers and I was thinking do they always talk about the barriers or am I just like super sensitive right now like and and so it was like really trying not to focus on like the other people talking about the barriers. <laughs> Are they trying to get into my head right now that there's barriers everywhere? <laughs> yeah, like it wasn't like competitors. It was just like coming up in like conversation. I'm like, man, like <laughs> stop that. <laughs> but but I think the like once I physically had it probably took me like a, a week after the race to kind of get back into like my normal ish training. And I had a good, like few solid bike workouts. Tommy and I went over it. Like, so after Tokyo, we went to Tanan Laban in France, which is just across the lake from Lausanne. And so, um, I like the more I'm prepared, the more confident I am with any race. And like, I'll go through on Google maps and like, Oh man, for Rotterdam in 2017, I think I had like a, like a hundred some slide slideshow because I took the little man you can put on Google maps and I took pictures of like every part of the course for, for like I love that the bike I and the that. run. I love that. I used to do that even back in 2007 when Google earth, you know, was still fairly new and, and I would, I would uh, write down the distance to every single corner, the gradient, you yeah. know, and then I could just study and then take the images exactly like you. I love that. And it's amazing because you get there and you're like, like for us, I'm kind of going backwards a bit, but for us, for Rotterdam, like we, I had never raced on the Rotterdam course. I'd like the grand final was the first time I was ever seeing it. But I, I remember going on a run or a ride the first, like when we first got there and I was like, I know, I know this course. And it was a really cool feeling to like, put together between like the preparation of like Google map slideshow and the visualization and also watching like some of the other races from the years before and be able to like connect all these things in my mind that if I would have gone and had just looked at like the map that you're provided, which is like fine, but it's not, there's holes, there's gaps. (laughs) Like, um, so I found it like very valuable and, so when we were in Tanan, one of the days we like drove over um, to Lausanne and just to like, well, get my stitches out there, but also, <laughs> but also to go and check out the course. And it was funny because we, our squad had just done like a hill workout on this hill. And like the feeling after doing it on the hill was like, oh yeah, like we got this. Yeah. And then we, Tommy and I went to Lausanne and I came back and I was like, Joel, we need to find a steeper hill. Like, because, <laughs> is that right? Yeah, because the hill was quite steep, and I was really glad we did a different one for the next time because it was much more on par with what we were going to face in the race. There's no better feeling than when you when you explore and prepare for an event, and you do all your homework, and you look at your images, and you visualize everything you can. And uh, it's like you said, I used to I used to look at a race, and I'd map it out, and I'd have all the images, and then I'd even go and I'd look up what the average temperature is for that day, yeah. you know, and, and really try and get an idea of of what it's going to feel like for my visualizing. And then to turn up, whether it's the day before or on race day itself, and go, oh, 
yes, this, I've done this. I know what I've got to do. So then you get to you get to Lasan, you, your stitches are out. Um, was it was everybody kind of talking? Is Katie going to race? Was there any kind of pressure that you were feeling outside of your own self that you noticed, or is it just kind of go do what I need to get done? I think there was very little pressure. Well, there was pressure for like myself, but it was different because I think the focus went from winning to like, Katie, all you have to do is finish like 14th or higher and you claim like the title for like the world title. And in that way, it became like a a little bit different of a feeling going into the grand final because I think no one had like like super high expectations and just the fact that I was able to race two and a half weeks later was like a win in itself Mm -hmm. it's a complete relief isn't it now now it's like I could just go and enjoy it I can't believe that I actually get to have another opportunity do you kind of think it was like fate you know it was like I'm meant to be able to do this well I I always feel like sometimes when things happen like whether it's losing the world championship in 2018 by like a few points or whether it's crashing in a race or whatever aspect it is. I, I, some of the things I think is like, it's just not my time, but then I have like the dot, dot, dot. And more importantly, it's the finishing part is yet. And so I always feel like if like something happened in Tokyo, like, all right, well, that sucks. But like, it's not, it just wasn't meant to be like for, Mm. for that moment. And I don't know why, or like, well, I mean, I know what happened, but like, no, I get what you mean though. It's like these moments that happen in your life and go, that's, that doesn't seem right. You know, there's more I've got to give, you know, I haven't seen my best yet. And this doesn't seem like it's the finishing line. And, and maybe to make it a greater story in the future, I have to have this, adversity again you know it's like yeah. if it's all smooth the whole way then it's not quite the story and um, I mean then you went on to have an incredible race in Lausanne um, with you know Jessica and Georgia again and yeah. <laughs> it was an incredible event um, tell me the the feelings that you had that sort of final kilometer running with um, Jessica yeah I mean it was it it was one where I really fully engaged to be like n- to not be complacent because like I had said, going into it, I was thinking like 14th or better. Like that's, that's like what, what I was like counting. Like as, as we were running, I was thinking, man, if all things go to like terrible, like where is for like, where is my 14th person <laughs> on the race course? But when it came down to it, like, I remember at one point thinking, like, Jess deserves this because she'd had a phenomenal race and she'd done so well in Tokyo as well. And then I changed to, like, but I deserve, like, I deserve (laughs) this too. And that probably is what motored me for the last sprint of, like, because there were moments before that where she would, like, kind of gap me just, like, a little bit. And then I really like found the willpower in the last 
I don't, it wasn't very far to the finish and like she was right there. But for me, winning the world championship and winning the grand final was so important, especially after Tokyo, because I think if I would have just been like, oh, like 14th or better, like that's not really that <laughs> like great of a, not that it's a, not a bad result, but it's not a great way to finish after having a really good season. Whereas like winning showed me like, you're the same athlete that you were before two and a half weeks ago. Like you, like it just kind of like was a really good affirmation of being the same person I was before I crashed Mm. and being able to ride with like some of the most skilled in our, in our sport. Like Flora was, Flora was with us in on the bike course, like Jess and Georgia, like, I mean, we would trade off in leads. Like I would normally lead most of the straights and pull the straights and they would do the technical section. So I could like, so we could be smooth for that. So like, it was really cool to finish that race. And after Tokyo, especially Mm. feeling okay. Well, you know what I I've love about this. it is, is one of the things that disappoints me in my sport, right, in, in our sport, I should say, right now, if triathlon is, you know, the, it is just a World Series is the world champion. I, I'd like to still have it where you win the World Cup Series, a bit like mountain biking, and then you also have the one-day world championship. And at the moment, we kind of have the one day, which is the special day, which is the grand final, which is, is it double points or points and a half or something? Points I'm not and sure a half, it, I believe. Points and a half. And it's a big, to be able to win the one day, because I still think the grand the grand final is, in my mind, the one day world championship and then you have the world cup series or the world sorry the world triathlon series overall and what you did was win both in the one year which is complete dominance and i love that i had um kate courtney on um american mountain bike and she won the world championships in uh 2018 and then backed it up by winning the world cup series the following year and in mountain biking they respect both equally they all want that one that single day one but they all respect very much mm-hmm. the how much it hurts to win a world series the ba- the day in day out and, and traveling the world and to win both and i think for you to win both in my mind really cemented 2019 is just such an incredible year now i want to touch on like you said the little disappointment well the big disappointment for you of 2019 and not getting that olympic spot early um and i remember writing you i don't know right after it going I get very disappointed in the in the in the process of not just the US, but I think many of the other countries where they they focus very hard on putting together these random Olympic trials without using the incredible point score system that the International Triathlon Union, the ITU, have put together. It's a they have an Olympic ranking system where you collect points over the years, and the most consistent and the best athletes are all ranked accordingly. Um, and yet they make their best have to prove themselves again. I remember being frustrated watching Gwen Jorgensen, who'd been obviously the best in 2014 and 2015, leading up to, to Rio, having to qualify to prove herself to the Federation. And that just absolutely frustrates me that you're requiring somebody that's obviously the best in the country, was the best in the world, having to prove herself again. Now we're watching it again with you. And <laughs> I look at the rankings, the ITU world rankings, number one. The World Triathlon Series rankings, number one. The Continental ranking, number one. The Olympic ranking, number one. And yet we're still requiring USA Federation still want Katie Zafiris 
to prove that she's worthy of going to the Olympic team for the USA. So I, I t- I, sorry, USAT, if you're listening to me, I think <laughs> your system is stupid. I think the US team have phenomenal athletes. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not cheapening Summer Rappaport, Taylor, Spy- Taylor Spivey, incredible athletes. But when you have somebody like you that not only did you do what you did last year, I'm going on a bit of a rant now. So sorry. <laughs> not only did you do what you did last year, you've shown that consistency of fifth, fourth, third, second, first in the World Series. You're working on those small weaknesses that we've described throughout the show. And you are the complete athlete. And any other country in the world would be going, isn't it amazing that we get to have Katie Zafiris on our Olympic team? But still, <laughs> you're having to jump through hoops. Now, do you know the next hoop you're meant to be jumping through to, to make them realize that you should be on that Olympic team? Um, how's the process working going now to 2021? Well, it's still being a little bit worked out uh, because of all the coronavirus things and uncertainties with that. But what they've said is that they want to keep it um, pretty much as similar to the 2020 uh, guidelines that were that were put into place. So that would mean that hopefully Yokohama 2021 would happen and that would be uh, the second opportunity to automatically qualify by being on the podium, but only one spot's available there. And then the other spot is discretion. Um, so that one, like, I would like to out definitely go for the automatic spot but i feel i've set myself up pretty well for the discretionary position oh that's good i I think one of the things i get frustrated with and i've seen it time and time again is that we often hear them say well it's got to be fair and i come from the point that it's got to be fair for the best whereas we tend to say it's got to be fair for everybody and what i mean by that is you've had three, four years to prove yourself between Olympic cycles, whether you should be going to the next Olympics. And that consistency on the world stage should be enough to put you on Olympic teams. Um, But look, I'm not the USAT (laughs) high performance director and nor am I Australian or any other federation and they have their systems. And um, I just think it's crazy to make your athletes jump through more hoops than you need to. And if you look at the Olympic scoreboard um, from the last five Olympics, it's often the smaller nations where athletes haven't had to qualify. Whether we're talking Nicholas Spirig, um, we can go. We can go back to the um, who was the Swiss girl that won two thousand two thousand four. Anyway, we can go back and look at the scoreboard, and we often see the athletes that didn't have to jump through numerous hoops are the ones that are standing there on the Olympic uh, top step because they haven't had to use an, an extra bullet out of their gun to try and qualify. So anyway, you've got my support and I, I think they should just tell you that you're on it and away we go. But um, now also tell me a little bit about your initial reaction when the Olympics were postponed due to this coronavirus. Was it, you know, was that a sinking feeling or, or, or what was it? Well, it was kind of interesting because you know how like going into the Olympics with the news and things, they'll, like for Rio, it was like the water quality and uh, like the Zika virus. So when the coronavirus started coming up in the news, like I kind of just thought, oh, this is like, this is their thing. Like this is, this is what the media will focus on. And so when asked about it, like when it was first kind of appearing, I said like, well, 
if the Olympics doesn't happen because of the coronavirus, then like the world has much, much worse things than, <laughs> than the Olympics to think about. And I really feel that way still where, um, I think when they announced that it was going to be postponed, like I almost felt relieved because it was postponed and not canceled. Um, and I think canceled would be much harder to swallow. Um, but the postponement, like, especially, I mean, right now you're thinking like the, 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 it was supposed to happen in a month, like a a little bit over a month from now. And that wouldn't have been good. (laughs) Like, (laughs) um, like I only just started being able to get into a pool regularly a couple weeks ago. And even in Maryland, like where we live, um, next week, I'll start being able to get into a pool regularly. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm disappointed, but I, I don't feel like there was any different call that should be made. And I think the hardest part is just like, honestly, the uncertainty of like this season, not necessarily the Olympics right now being at the forefront, but like whether we'll be racing by the end of this year, or if we are racing, like what, what will that look like? And then looking at and trying not to get too suckered into like how everybody is approaching this so differently because there is no guidelines of like how to train through a pandemic. (laughs) You've almost got to just love the training right now. And, and it's like, I saw Alistair Brownlee, you know, the two time Olympic gold medalist, uh, a post of his, he just says, look, I just, I love to race. So he's kind of, he's biting at the bit, but he's kind of like at the moment I do a couple of the, you know, the, the virtual type, I guess they're basically bike races at this point. Um, and, and, and then you got other athletes, uh, sort of putting their feet up. I think, I think I saw Richard Murray, South African, incredible athlete, you know, he's setting himself, uh, little personal goals, trying to break certain times for the 5K or the 3K, you know, running and he's trying to just keep things, keep himself inspired by doing those little things. But I, I, I really feel for all of you guys because it is it is that kind of how much do I push and how much do I sit back because I don't know when are we going again, you know, and it's uh, just focus on staying healthy, um, doing the things that I can focus on and, and, and trying to keep a – a neutral mindset, I guess, without getting too positive or too negative and just trying to keep calm, you know? Yeah. Just, um, I mean, without dwelling on all of that, you know, being, you know, that we are focused on the 2021 Olympics, um, the team relay, um, tell me your thoughts on that. Oh, I'm excited for it. I, so triathlon watching, like for watching the mixed team relay is like the most passionate I ever feel about triathlon. I just think it's, I don't even have to be doing it. And I'm like, remember watching the first time with the U S in Hamburg. And like, I just thought it was amazing. It was so cool. And it's just so unpredictable. And it's a way to like bring in like that patriotism and just support for our country and not like, not just for the people racing, but for like the spectators as well. And, um, I love racing it. Like, I think it's super cool that it's just fun to like Mm. high five and go all out and see what you can do and try and help the team and like put us in the best possible situation or B 
be able to pull us from like a deficit to the lead and just being able to like create change is kind of like a, a really fun aspect of um, the mixed team relay or just hold off in the front the whole time. That would be a <laughs> <as> well. <laughs> That'd be a nice way to do it. I, I do think the U S have an incredible team, especially with some of the strongest women in the world. And I've said it on this, this show before that I, I, I still think the, Having the best women in the world is is the number one thing, largely because um, women are about ten percent on the course longer than men, and so that ten percent I think adds up. I know that sounds weird, but I love st- statistics and math. And <laughs> I'm always trying to figure out what. It is. And um, so I think having yourself and, and either Taylor or Summer or whoever um, on the on the team is a huge draw card. And, and I think the U.S. men there's some real talent there i just think you know they might need an extra year so i think it's it's yeah, going maybe to help. this helped i really do think it's going to help you guys and i think you're up against the french and the you know the new zealanders even and uh, the australians and the brits obviously so there's it really is an unknown and i i think like you i think it's one of the most exciting things ever to happen in the sport of triathlon i'm absolutely jealous that it wasn't around in my era 20 years ago um, i just think it's just a fantastic thing that they've added what about do you notice there's a different kind of pressure or do you feel like there's less pressure um you know what how does that feel team compared to individual i think it's it's both like i definitely feel more pressure when like i think leading up to it with just being i mean obviously every person it plays a really critical role and even as like i mean when you have people finish their race and they're like they either do a really good job or else they're disappointed. Basically those are like the two things you get from the mixed team relay. And you, like you tell anyone, like you did like the best, like obviously each person's day can be very different, especially because most of the mixed team relays are happening the second day of racing. It's not people coming in fresh. And so like the pressure is like seeing, okay, like, can I show up today as well as I did the day before? Or um, like for me, for Hamburg this year, like <laughs> I had a bummer of a race <laughs> for, for the first, the individual race. And I was like really hoping to kind of have a better relay and that relay wasn't um, the the best on, but we all did what we could for, for the day. And that, that is like a different stressor because you want your country to do well and you want to be able to help them. And sometimes you finish and you're like, well, that, that wasn't enough. But then the part that isn't as stressful, especially I feel like for me, for, I usually go third, third leg and I love it because like I'm in a position where I'm either just trying to stay ahead or I'm just trying to catch up and there's not much thought process that's necessary. Like, and I think that takes the stress away more than say like the first position, I almost feel like that's more nerve wracking because you're like starting with a whole group of people and deciding kind of how you're going to do the race. Whereas Mm. as third man, third woman, I get to just kind of. Well, I think the U S is incredibly lucky to have you as a third leg. I think that's. Phenomenon. For people that don't know, we're talking about the team relay, which is going to be two women and two men. Uh, It's going to go a woman first, a man second, a woman third, and a man will finish it off. And basically, it's about a 20-minute race 
each where you do a is it what is it a 300 meter swim 7k bike 2k run or something like that or I'm, I'm not sure if i've got that exactly right but basically it's 20 minutes worth of racing and you tag off to your teammate and i th- i truly think that not only is it a spectacular medal potentially for for triathlon but i think um it's going to be one of the greatest viewerships i think we're going to get in all of the olympics i think it is going to change the way people watch the olympics when they they watch men and women together um on this relay that i think is just going to showcase our sport and it's just going to be phenomenal and um i i really think for for you as an american i think there's you guys are, are definitely one of the favorites so i'm excited for you because i think that will be a gold medal that would be just oh to share it with others i just yeah. think it's just an absolute thrill um what i did in this episode was a little different to many of the other episodes i often have started um by winding the clock back and really wanting to um talk about the guests and how they got into the sport early. And the reason I did that was because I was just, I was so in awe of you last, you know, 12 to 18 months that I just really wanted to to talk about that. But with a little bit time left, I just want to, let's just wind that clock back and tell me a little bit more about how you found endurance sports and, you know, and specifically triathlon. So for me, I grew up just, my parents just got me involved in, whatever, whatever sports we were really interested in. I'm, I'm one of, uh, one of three girls and I'm the middle child. And a lot of my, my mom's a, was a kindergarten teacher. She is now retired. She's very excited about that. Um, but she would drive us around from practices all the time. Cause we were like the sports I can think of doing are, we did dance, we did gymnastics, we did soccer, lacrosse, swimming, basketball, softball eventually running and so there was times where we were just running from practice to practice because we would do like swimming and then we would go to indoor soccer and then we'd go to indoor lacrosse and like um and then my other sister was doing like horseback riding so like so like she they were very much um committed to not like it wasn't like this is what you're going to be when you grow up but just like having us involved and having us doing doing athletics and it wasn't necessarily like I didn't feel pressure from my parents to like perform other than just work hard and be a good person, be a good person. Um, but then my dad, I think we were doing maybe it was soccer, lacrosse, swimming and basketball or something. And he he was like, all right, we need to like cut out like one of these <laughs> like we can't keep doing them all and both me and my sister both chose to cut out basketball which was like his sport <laughs> so <laughs> so he was kind of disappointed but got over it eventually but I would say like growing up my main sports were soccer lacrosse and swimming and I would just those those would kind of take up all my time but and swimming would be like the primary focus but then when I went into high school, I decided like, oh, I don't really want to do lacrosse anymore, but I want to stay in shape for soccer in the fall. So I started running and my first year of running in Maryland, which is a very small state, but um, I won two two state championships in track, which is pretty good and um, for a high schooler <laughs> and for a first time runner. So then ultimately I never played soccer again. I actually went out for the team in the fall, made the team, had on my soccer uniform 
and then got in a chat asking like what I should do to to, to the coach to a, a coach that had grown up coaching me in soccer and ultimately I ended up in a cross-country uniform so that was kind of like the first transition of like running and swimming had been there all like year round for the last like since I was seven or so and when I went to college it was going to be well am I going to university to run or am I going to swim or can I run and I swim but like triathlon really wasn't on the horizon for me like I had done one triathlon with my dad on father ah, actually today's father's day this might be my anniversary of my first triathlon um <laughs> but I'd done it in so 2007 was the first triathlon I ever did and it was with my dad on father's day but it was just as like something to do with him not as something that I took seriously like I was wearing my my bathing suit had like the slowest first transition ever as I pulled on my soccer shorts and my t-shirt and had my cages for my feet and like it was it was just bonding with with dad Mm. and I didn't really think much of it I just did it annually and I went to school ran for five years at division one so for the United States that's the highest level collegiately Mm. um and during that time I didn't swim at all but USA Triathlon has a program called the Collegiate Recruitment Program and a lot of this is probably thanks to Gwen because she was like one of the first athletes to be identified through this collegiate recruitment program, which basically looks at division one athletes who are either runners or swimmers who have a background in whatever the opposite is. So if I'm a runner, the background is, I had the background in swimming. And then the theory is that you can teach them how to ride a bike. And so during my time at Syracuse, Barb Lindquist contacted me and the stories of how she found me are varying but I think my I actually think that my Syracuse coach had something to do with it and like letting her know that I might be might be good at it and so when she contacted me the program was really just kind of evolving so normally it was just like a two-week camp and so I went out and I did the two-week camp but then they started kind of developing more of a residential program. And so after I'd graduated, um, they invited me out to the Colorado Olympic Training Center to see if I wanted to live there and try and become a full-time triathlete, which at the time I just graduated and was thinking, I got my degree in physical education, like kindergarten through 12th grade, and was thinking, oh, like I'm going to go to like I'm either going to start teaching or I'm going to go to a graduate program in health promotion or health education. And ultimately, I ended up driving out to Colorado Springs with my dad and going full throttle into triathlon. Mm. I love that. And and you touched on, you know, the the recruiting process, which Bob Linquist is an old friend of mine. I've known for 25, 30 years, I think, <laughs> and just done an incredible job in finding uh, incredible talent within the US and, and bringing them into the sport of triathlon. And it was when I had Gwen on this on this show and, and in her episode, she was really grateful for Barb. Um, what, what Gwen said to me though was that she felt that she didn't find triathlon, triathlon found her. And how do you feel about 
triathlon because with Gwen it was like look I really want to see how what I can do in running so she kind of left triathlon to go find her her first passion which was running how do you feel about that are you more of a triathlete and happy in the role of being a triathlete and and that's it or do you still look at other sports that you'd like to try no I look at triathlon and I'm like I found my home that's what it feels Uh, like (laughs) Um, (laughs) because as a runner like I was always like a strong runner and I mean, not to get like caught up on body types, but I'm more of a strong body type. And I was running in university against very lean and tiny people. Mm. And I never felt like I quite fit in. Now, I think like in general, my mindset has definitely changed of what like the feelings that I had of like body type then versus now. But even in triathlon, like I look at how I am and who I am and I'm like, this is the place for me. Like I'm a strong person and it, I really like the aspect of the three different sports because there's so much variety and there's just, I would, I would get bored (laughs) if I was just swimming or if I was just running or riding. Although all I'm starting to like really enjoy more than I ever have before, actually during this time probably. But I I think it just feels like this is what I was supposed to be, and like I, I love that you're of my own heart. Yeah, <laughs> a bit a bit like you. I I kind of grown up in the in the swimming and the run. Well, more the running. And um, my one of my earlier coaches, Brett Sutton, said, "Greg, you know you." You built like a rugby player, you know, and uh, for those that don't know, rugby players are kind of huge. Um, but I, I weighed 78 kilograms and, and I was a fairly solid guy for triathlon. But then over over years, I kind of trimmed down, but I was never going to be, like you said, the body type of a of a pure runner. Um, but, but I think the strength component of triathlon really suited me and it, it obviously does you, um, you know, yeah. to, because there is that strength to be able to cross over the three disciplines, not break down. In your case, take a few hits and still get back up. <laughs> it's all yeah. good, you know, and I think that's it. I think, and I, I love the fact that you've, you know, you've called triathlon home. I think that triathlon's all the better for it. I have one question from my niece, Kemper Reback. <laughs> I don't know oh, if yeah. you know Kemper, but yeah, thank uh, you. <laughs> uh, she is uh, named after Hunter Kemper, actually, originally, uh, an American male triathlete from the last 20 years. And uh, But Kemper is, uh, ever since I've known her, since she was seven or eight, wants to be a professional triathlete and lives and breathes the sport, is obviously a huge fan of yours. And I, I told her that I was going to um, chat with you, and I think she yes. was – yeah, she's very excited. She is at the point in her life where there's this kind of transition and, and she was really curious at, and I, and, to, and forgive me if this is too personal, but how did you kind of survive financially, I guess, from, you know, the college into the world of professional triathlete? Were you working or was it all USA triathlon or how was that for you? I, so I would say I was super fortunate in my triathlon journey because I went straight from university into the collegiate recruitment program, which financially supported me. And then also combined with being successful kind of from the start in racing. So I don't think my story is typical. I'm very thankful for the journey financially into triathlon and the support that I've received through like USA triathlon and like just prize money and sponsorships. But, um, 
so when I started triathlon, like, I mean, I was babysitting all through university, but I wasn't, that wasn't like (laughs) big bucks there, you know? Um, so yeah, with USA triathlon and the collegiate recruitment program, I was, I was funded for that. And I, I think it was a huge advantage in not ever doing triathlon and feeling really stressed out for money. But then that being said, like Tommy, he, he had a whole different experience where, I mean, you get, so he wasn't on the, um, like trajectory yet for USA triathlon. So at the time he was working, uh, full-time training, actually he was training with Bevan Doherty, um, mm. at, at the time in Santa Cruz and really, really balancing working and training and racing and, um, taking opportunities as they kind of came. But yeah, I, I'm not a good person for that. Because- no, but I appreciate your, uh, your honest answer. And, and I think Laura has a similar approach. My wife, you know, through the, the USAT program really helped her out at the start of her career as well. And, um, you know, for, for me, it was, I remember studying, you know, being at university and sort of applying 15 to 20 hours a week to study. And then sort of I had a job as a waiter at Sizzler, you know, waiting tables, sort of I'd do 15, 20 hours a week. And then training was kind of that 15 to 20 hours a week. And I tried to sort of manage my time the best I could across the board until, you know, my first little sponsor from, I think it was Sorconi, uh, back in 1991 or 92 gave me $2,000 and I was like, whoa, you know, and and it was kind of like you get these little bits that start trickling in and, uh, and then you kind of on your way. Um, but I mean, your progression was reasonably quick. You obviously had some ability that you, you, but you've been harnessing, you know, your ability over years, you know, you're running and you're swimming. So the transition to triathlon looks rapid, but you've got to take into account that you were swimming from such an early age and then, yeah. and, and running competitively for, for a long, long time. So, but Katie, this has been, I don't want to take too much more of your time because it, it really has been a treat for me to have you on the show. And we've, we've discussed the importance of your relationships with Tommy and your team and Joel. And I'd love to go into more detail maybe at a, at a later date, but I don't think it's <laughs> fair on, on, on you and everybody else. But, and, and then, you know, I love the fact that you're working with a psychologist. I love your mental strategies. I think you're, you're a true champion. You, you, you're looking at every aspect to better yourself. Um, you know, there's, there's so much more I could talk to you about. Ah, I don't want you to go sleep, nutrition, body work, general health. There's so many things I have on my little list here, but I think, um, I enjoyed really stepping through 2019 because I do think it was a, a remarkable year, um, especially the conclusion there. Um, and, uh, you know, thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening. Where, where can they find you? What's your, what's your, you know, Instagram and, and things like that. Where do people find you? Yeah, my Instagram's kzafiris6, which is... I'll put it in not, the show notes. I was I'll like, put not it in the, the easiest. No, I'll put it in the show notes, everybody. You can flip through. It's like, if you don't know how to spell my name, there's then there's no hope in finding me. But. Yeah, and it's Zephyrus, not Zephyrus. So there's an F-E-R-E-S. Yes. yes, I know. I, I, I learned that myself recently. I was like, Yeah, no, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Yeah. um. Yeah, and then I also do Facebook, so Katie's the fairest triathlete page, and then you can find me on Tommy's page. Who? Are- yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. Say hi to Tommy for me. One of the one of the best men I know, and um, I think you guys are just a phenomenal couple. I I love that you know you're very honest about your relationship with there because I think 
you know, there's a lot of Laura and I, we were both professional athletes together and there's a lot of similarities there. It was like, yeah. don't give me advice now. I'm not yeah. ready. I'm tired and I'm cranky. Just give me space. It's, it always looks like roses on the outside to everybody, but we're all, we're all balanced. It's a balancing act in the background. So I think, thank you for being so candid and honest with, with that. And, um, you know, for everybody, thanks for listening. Um, you can go to bewithchampions.com uh, slash media for show notes um, and find all the links for, for Katie. I'll put them all there. Um, but Katie, this has been absolutely wonderful. Stay on the line and thanks for joining me. Oh, I love chatting. Thanks. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.